back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I am Thomas Goldcamp. I'm joined today by Blake Alderman. And Blake, we are finally done with fall camp. Florida wrapped up its last practice of camp today. And the Gators are set to get into game week prep for Miami. So uh, I guess without any further ado, let's kind of jump right in. Um, I, I guess the biggest question right now is kind of covering the things that have changed for Florida during fall camp. And uh, we've talked a little bit about some of those on the podcast, but I think uh, probably the first one is uh, where the secondary depth is at right now with John Huggins no longer on the team, CJ McWilliams banged up. Um, what's your feeling generally on whether that should be a big concern for Florida or not? You know, I, when I look at the depth, I don't know that it's going to be a concern for week one because Florida obviously has some very talented defensive backs, you know, C.J. Henderson, Marco Wilson, Trey Dean. You know, there's there's plenty of talent back there. The safety position, I think, is a little bit of a question mark, and that's one of the battles that I think were one of the main things throughout fall camp to kind of keep an eye on as far as the secondary goes. But, yeah, you know, whenever you lose some guys – uh, one leaving the program in Huggins and the other in McWilliams losing himself to a, most likely a season-ending injury and a, and a torn Achilles. You know, I, I think that the secondary depth is going to be a question that we're going to have that, that kind of rolls on throughout the entire rest of the season because, you know, Florida last year kind of played with some depth issues and, you know, obviously having, you know, some, uh, you know, Marco go down early in the season, that took a hit. You know, you lose C.J. Henderson in the Georgia game and that really kind of showed, you know, a glaring issue in the secondary whenever, you know, CJ McWilliams was getting picked on a bit in that game. So, you know, I think for Florida, it's it's maybe a familiar ground because you're used to maybe having some depth issues in the secondary like last season. But I, I don't think it's an ideal situation. I think whenever you have some guys that are a little bit versatile guys, um, you know, that you can kind of plug in place, you know, Trey Dean being one of those guys you can kind of move around. I think there's lots of things to like there, but I think overall you, you can't be really happy with, you know, having a hurt secondary as far as depth wise before we even take the first snap. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not ideal, but I, I'll tell you, I'm I'm not all that concerned about it. Um, I think you look at last year's depth chart going into fall camp, you kind of knew ahead of time that Florida couldn't afford to have, you know, Marco Wilson or C.J. Henderson get hurt. And those, I, I remember specifically writing about those two being two of the top five uh, kind of most important guys on the team for that reason. Because when you looked at the depth chart, you saw that the guys behind them were true freshman trading uh, you know, Brian Edwards and CJ McWilliams, who are two guys that um, you can count on, I think, a little bit on special teams, but are not guys that you want lining up starting against the Georgias, the LSUs of the world. And when you lose Marco Wilson in the second game, then you saw that depth concern start to play out. I look at the the depth chart this year, and I see quality starters at each of the positions in the secondary. Sure. Um, you know, like you said, I think safety a little bit may maybe more of a concern than cornerback. Um, but I'm not looking at the backups in terms of the secondary this year and seeing the kind of, oh, my God, Florida better not have to play that guy a whole lot this year. I think you look at guys like Kair Elam, um, Jaden Hill, Chester Kimbrough. Those are all guys coming in as true freshmen that you look at and say, hey, you know, this guy might be able to push for playing time if we didn't have a truly, truly elite All-American type in C.J. Henderson or Marco Wilson. Um, the great news for Florida is you have that luxury of having those guys, so you don't need these guys necessarily to step in unless there's an injury. But to me, you know, I, I get it. I get that, you know, the, the news that John Huggins is gone and C.J. McWilliams is down. On paper, I think that makes people freak out a little bit. I got to be honest with you, Blake. I do not see any issues. Uh, I have a lot less concerns with this Florida secondary than I did this time last year. Sure, but I guess does that beg the question that, 
I think we can both agree that you can't add any more injuries or anything like that to this group as far as starters. You know, I think as far as the starters go, I think it's a very solid, very strong group. But, man, you just have to keep those – I mean, no scooters. Keep those guys in a bubble. Like, these guys have to be like, you know, don't step on a crack, break your mama's back. Like, I mean, these guys have to stay, like, absolutely, like, healthy. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some truth to that. I mean, you don't you don't want to lose a Wilson in game two to a torn ACL. But I, I think it's it's less of a situation like where you have uh, the Georgia game, for example, last year, where uh, you know C.J. Henderson was out for uh, a pretty good chunk of that game. You know, it wasn't an injury that lingered where he was you know right. out for multiple games, but it was an injury that hurt you. I think a lot more last year than it would this year. I think if you have a guy like that that gets dinged up, one of the starters gets dinged up within a game, I think you can overcome that this year because I think that you don't have guys that are definitely going to get picked on. You know, they're they're not going to be as good as a Henderson or a Wilson right away. Sure. But I think you can get by with those guys maybe more so than you did last year, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I could definitely make sense of that. And there's also other injuries, too, in the team that they've really kind of hit on. Um, you know, you'd really this this end of fall camp when you kind of turn into, you know, who are we who are preparing for for week one? I think you really this is the time you really want to stay healthy. And, and you know, they've, they've had some hits here along the trenches here, Thomas. Yeah, to me, that's the much bigger concern when you start talking about, you know, what's different now versus when Florida started fall camp. Um, you know, obviously, one of the real big ones is losing Noah Banks. Um, uh, to me, from my standpoint, he's not necessarily a guy that I was really counting on in the first place because all off season, I thought it was pretty unlikely given, you know, the epileptic episode that he had in December that, that he was really going to come back. But then when you do get the news that, you know, Florida's going to try him out in fall camp and see what he can do. Uh, I, I'm sure the coaches at least to some degree thought, Hey, maybe we can count on this guy as a little extra depth on the O line. He's obviously medically retiring at this point, And so he's another guy that I think was a swing player, you know, between tackle guard type that would have added a little bit of extra depth. Again, I don't know how much the coaching staff was really counting on him or if it was, you know, one of those things where if he's available, then great. Um, If that was the outlook, it probably doesn't change a ton. But if it was more, you know, we think he's full go and we're counting on him to be one of our top eight for sure. uh, That one hurts to me a little bit more for Florida. Absolutely, and especially whenever you have an offensive line that, you know, as far as the starters go, you know, it's it's a very solid group that's kind of been the the pretty much the reports from spring and, and even into the, you know, early part of fall camp. So, you know, it does suck to have a guy that has some experience what somewhat, you know, to bring in there to a young group. But, you know, I think that they're pretty pretty happy with kind of where the offensive line is for now. At least that's kind of the vibe I've gotten from hearing the coaches and stuff. But, you know, one guy that Florida is going to count on is Gene DeLance, the offensive tackle there, uh, a Texas transfer. Um, Didn't really play a lot last year, but he was really looking to kind of see some solid snaps this year and obviously was kind of getting as a projected starter. And, Thomas, kind of what's going on there? Well, you know, first off, he was a guy that I think has come a long way in the last year. You know, talking to John Hevesy even throughout the spring, uh, he, you know, John Hevesy tends to give it to you, um, as it is, you know, obviously Florida's offensive line coach who did a really good job last year. Um, he doesn't sugarcoat things. And he basically said that last year, uh, DeLance didn't get it. He didn't know the work that he needed to put in and everything. Um, but that Hevesy really felt that you know, it, during the off season in the winter, the winter program that the team went through and leading into spring, he thought that the availability of a starting spot. Uh, for DeLance really kind of helped him turn the corner and start to realize all the little things that he had to do. And so he's 100% a guy that Florida was counting on to be in the starting lineup throughout fall camp. Well, he went down with uh, with an injury in fall camp the other day, and we're not entirely sure what the injury is in terms of uh, you know the specific, whether it's ankle or a bone bruise, something like that. 
Um, but we do know that he was on crutches, and we, we're not entirely sure on a timeline for his return just yet. So that that is an injury that is seriously a, a major concern for Florida, particularly once you no longer have Banks available, because he's a guy that started all throughout the spring at right tackle. Uh, he was the starting right tackle all throughout fall camp. And really, to this point, I still have my doubts about whether Florida has somebody that's ready to step in as a full-time starter if DeLance can't go against Miami. The defensive line it took a little bit of a hit too. I know Delance was a big was a big uh, hit as far as can he play, can he not play, and obviously that's a position they have to really you know really going to count him on. But on the flip side, on the defensive line, there was another injury that doesn't seem to be quite as bad. Yeah, Blake, I know you you reported on this a little bit, but uh, Kyrie Campbell, who's a starting uh, three technique ta- or uh, excuse me, starting nose tackle on the Florida defense on the defensive line, uh, under uh, I guess suffered a little bit of a groin injury. Uh, and so he's currently day to day. To me, I don't I don't see that as um, nearly as big a concern for Florida right now. I think um, he's certainly a leader on the defense, and a lot of guys have pointed to that. I think he's really one of the guys that has embraced being a vocal leader, um, and it, it has been a very productive player. I think he started the final eleven games for Florida last year. Um, but to me, when you when you have a groin issue, um, I think he's the kind of guy that's experienced enough at this point where you can rest him. Um, and not really have him doing a whole lot, you know, and when Florida's into game week two, you're really not doing a whole lot anyway, in terms of really physically straining it. Um, you know, for a guy his size, you hope that, you know, a groin injury or, you know, a groin tweak doesn't linger, uh, because that can, especially when you're, you're kind of exploding off that leg. Um, but I think just generally looking at Florida's defensive line and discussing their defensive line, I don't see depth being a problem there. I think honestly, that's probably other than maybe receiver, and probably running back. That's probably one of the deepest spots on the team for me. Um, now, Blake, I know obviously, you know, there were some question marks about the quality of Florida's defensive line, top to bottom. You know, where are the elite guys? Um, but what's your what's your view on on that unit right now going into fall camp with or without Campbell? You know, with him, I think it's it's a very solid unit. Again, like you said, it's hard to replace a person who starts eleven games um, if, to finish out. You know, that that's just experience and SEC play and, and whatnot there. I mean, that that's that's hard to replace. But I do think that I really do, like you said, like where Florida's defensive line, you know, depth is. There may not be a ton of household names as far as guys with, you know, the the gaming experience. But, you know, a guy like Zachary Carter, I think he really over outplayed a lot of, uh, you know, really played himself into where he's going to be a guy that's going to get some solid reps this year. And I think there's a lot of other guys that Florida's going to be able to count on this year. Um you know, I, I certainly I think it's going to be ideal for Campbell to be able to play against right. Miami, and again, you know, it's hard to replace. But you know, I don't know that that's in the quite the same sense of irreplaceable as maybe a Delance is. So I, you know, I, right. I really like the other guys that they have on on the defensive line. But you know, it's always good to you know, devil's advocate here. You know, if he's not able to play against Miami, he's going to be a vocal guy there. He's going to be able to kind of talk up some of these guys that are very capable of playing. So, you know, I really like where Florida's defensive line uh, can kind of overall is for right now. You know, obviously it's a big need for them to fill this cycle as far as a recruiting standpoint, but they've yeah. got the guys now. And I think that, you know, this is the year that if you want to have somebody go down, it's good to have it this year to where maybe you might lose some guys after this season. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's the, and that's kind of where I'm at with Florida's defensive line. You know, obviously the, the talk all fall camp and throughout the offseason has been how do you replace a guy like Ja'Kai Polite? And I'm not sure that Florida has a guy that's going to put up the kind of numbers that Polite has had last year. But when I look at the overall roster, I think almost at every spot, there's not really a whole lot of drop-off. I mean, you go from 
Adam Schuler to, you know, an Elijah Conlon. I think Schuler's a little bit more productive, but you're not suddenly like hurting uh, when you make that drop. Or if you go from Jabari Zaniga to Zachary Carter, I don't think there's a big drop. And so you may not have that one single guy um, that is as disruptive as Ja'Kai Polite was. But I think on the other hand, I think Todd Grantham's defensive scheme kind of negates that to some degree. I, you know, I, I think that his scheme is good at creating those guys. But in this, at the same token, I think you don't necessarily have to have one of those dominant guys because he's so creative within the scheme that he can send different guys. Um, and so I look at Florida's D-line, and I, I see a legit eight, ten guys that can contribute on any down. Um, and I think that'll create more consistency probably for that unit as a whole. Yeah, I kind of agree there, too. So maybe you don't have the polarizing guy with the stats of Ja'Kai Polite, but I think overall you have to be a lot happier with how even your front set, how across the board that Florida looks there. So, you know, I think it's a little bit different. You may not have the guy who, like you said, puts up those stats of Polite, but I think I think me personally looking at it, I, I think I would pick this defense this year that Florida's going to put for last season's. Yeah, we'll definitely have to see. Um, one other thing I kind of wanted to, to talk about a little bit, um, people always are kind of asking, you know, who – who's been the pleasant surprise in fall camp or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I guess first off, Blake, from from a little bit more of an outside view, um, having kind of seen our practice coverage, is there anything that stood out maybe to you? Yeah, you know, I think the one that I went to was, you know, Jacob Copeland came in with a really highly regarded, I mean, he was a highly regarded recruit. Everyone in the country wanted him. He had tons of offers, um, took visits and whatnot. And, you know, the thing was last year was him getting healthy. And I know he was kind of slow in the spring as far as kind of nursing him and getting him ready to go. But from all accounts, it just seems like he is really kind of burst out of the gates in the in fall camp. And he's really kind of catching a lot of eyes. A lot of his teammates have even noticed, you know, that he's, you know, putting in the work and that he's going to have a very successful career. Yeah, no, and I, I laugh a little bit because uh, I made an off-color, uh, I, I, not joke, I don't know, response to somebody on Twitter uh, early in fall camp that caught Copeland's eye, where basically he, he uh, this guy, random guy tweeted at me, and he goes, uh, when are you guys going to start understanding that Copeland's better than Tony at that role? And I was like, I basically said, whenever he proves he has a functioning hamstring, okay? Like, it, it, for me, I was basically saying, look, the guy's got to prove he's healthy before I'm going to say he's better than a guy who averaged Evan 11 yards per carry or per touch last year. Um, but, you know, Copeland, I think I think you sensed the frustration from him not being able to get on the field last year because he saw that tweet, didn't necessarily get the tone that I was going for or the joking aspect of it. And uh, But, yeah, I mean, I think that the fact that he has been healthy all of fall camp is, a, is an extremely good sign for Florida. He's uh, pretty much, by all accounts, the strongest guy that they have in that receiver room in terms of the weight room and all that. Um, I don't know that he's going to get a ton of chances this year, just from the standpoint. I mean, you got so many veteran receivers in that group. Um, but I do think the fact that he's been able to stay healthy and and really be staying on the practice field is a huge positive. Sure. And, you know, I think another guy, too, that recently, uh, you know, going to interviews and, and listening to a lot of what the guys told you, it seems like Chester Kimbrough is another guy who has caught a lot of eyes. You know, Florida... Uh, like we talked about earlier, that they they're most likely going to count on some of these young defensive backs with you know injuries and depth and whatnot, and it certainly seems that Kimbrough has kind of caught not only the respect of coaches but also his teammates. Yeah, and I think that's that's probably one of the reasons that I'm a little less concerned um, based on what I had seen in fall practice. And granted, we we didn't really see a whole lot in the open stuff that you know Florida had, but you can kind of get an idea from at least a physical standpoint of how these freshmen are going to do. Um, physically, Kyrie Elam and Jaden Hill both really, really looked the part. I actually thought Kimbrough was a little bit lean. I thought he might need to add some size for the SEC. 
But the fact that literally every Florida veteran is raving about this guy in terms of his footwork, how you know how tough he is to separate from, I think you've got three three freshmen that are going to be really good. And to hear so many veterans raving about Chester Kimbrough, I think that's a really really positive sign uh, for him. Thomas, we've obviously seen how things have played out in fall camp. Um, we've seen where injuries are at now, and obviously there there could be more down the road and whatnot. But but for now, where we look at. For- where things stand, do you feel like your outlook has changed on the season from kind of how things have kind of transpired through fall camp, or do you kind of feel that same things are still somewhat on track? I uh, I think I would say that the margin for error is probably a little bit smaller than maybe when we entered fall camp, um, and and the reasoning for that is um, you're already starting to see what might happen if Florida has some of these injuries, like if the Delance thing ends up taking a few weeks. Um, again, I wasn't counting on Noah Banks heading into fall camp. Um, that was kind of one of those last minute things that happened and it was a, uh, definitely a positive for Florida, but to me that doesn't necessarily change my outlook a ton. Um, but I, so I don't, I think that the, the biggest issue for me now is I think that the Lance injury reaffirms the concern I had, the biggest concern I had for Florida, which is what is that O-line going to look like? Not against Miami. Cause I think that unit will be fine against Miami. The question is, what does that unit start to look like once you're deeper into the season, once you're playing Georgia and Jacksonville? Because if you're missing two guys off that line when you roll into Jacksonville, I got to tell you, man, the outlook for the season doesn't look as bright to me as if that unit's still healthy uh, come, what is it, November 2nd? Right. You know, that's kind of the thing that I've looked at, too, with just, you know, kind of seeing some of the guys that have left or or have been injured that, you know, when I think and I'm like, "Mm, is this going to hurt them against Miami? Not really. You know, I I don't know that any of these guys are going to be a big hit for the first game of the season. You know, I I feel like Florida still has a lot of the weapons and, and can really game plan around a lot of these things. But, man, it is hard to game plan during the season if you've got, you know, figuring out how to kind of jump through hoops, so to say, to put together your roster the way you want to with with injuries and whatnot. No doubt. And I think I think Dan Mullen's well aware of that, too. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm so confident in Florida beating Miami fairly handily. Um, you know, I sat on a podcast with Luke earlier this summer or really even just a couple weeks ago that I think it's a double digit kind of game because I think Florida's got so many advantages. Um, and we're going to get into that on this podcast a little bit, start to look at that Miami game. Um, but Dan Mullen said it this week. He said, um, we got to stay healthy, basically. He said, you look at all the great teams and the teams that have gone on to have great success. They've been teams that stayed healthy, and I think especially when you don't necessarily have the kind of quality depth that the Georgias and the Alabamas have built up through you know recruiting class after recruiting class of, of studs, um, you got to kind of rely on on staying healthy. So Blake, I think that that did a pretty good job of wrapping us up on kind of reviewing fall camp. You know, today was the last day for those players, and come tomorrow they start game prep for Miami. So I think after this commercial break, let's just go ahead and dive right into it, and we'll start to take our first look at Miami. Let's do it. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. 
But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Sports Podcast. I'm Blake Alderman, joined by Thomas Goldcamp. And it's time. We're talking Miami game week. Long-awaited game, the Week 0 matchup against the Florida Gators and the Miami Hurricanes in Orlando. It's closing in, and Thomas, there's a lot of excitement here. And on top of that, too, Miami recently named their starting quarterback in Jaron Williams. So Florida kind of has a guy that they know they can game plan for. You know, you, you kind of know what the blueprint is to kind of look for it as you, as you continue to prep for the week. So I, I guess what do you think about just that, that announcement and kind of what it brings to as far as where Florida is going to game plan around? Well, I think when you look at you know both teams going into the fall, going into fall camp, that was really the biggest question. I mean, I don't. I look at both of these teams, and that that has to be the single biggest thing uh, that anybody could look at or talk about because Florida comes in with a pretty veteran team. I mean, there really weren't even many fall camp position battles for Florida. I mean, we're talking about the same starting five-zero line. Uh, you know, all the veteran playmakers were back. The defense, there were very few spots up for grabs. On the other hand, you have Miami basically had a three-way battle. And uh, nobody really knew, knew who was going to win. Um, you know, I, I haven't followed. I can't say I've followed it super closely. But from most of the reports out of Miami, it seems like none of those guys were super overly impressive. Right. Now, I'll tell you this, too. If I had to pick a guy that was going to be the quarterback for Miami three months ago, I, I don't think I would have picked Jaron Williams, honestly. I mean, he's capable. Don't get me wrong. And he certainly seemed like the most consistent as far as reading the fall camp reports and whatnot. But, I, I mean, I kind of thought it was, you know, kind of, uh, you know, Tate's job to get. Well, and if you if you look at it, you know, I think that that kind of underscores some of the concerns, doesn't it? Because like you got a guy that transferred in and presumably he wasn't transferring in to be the backup. Sure. So number one, he's not obviously as good as the coaches thought that he was going to be. And then number two, you have a returning guy. And if he can't win it, you know, I mean, to me, that says I, I don't know. I kind of like the decision to go with the, the redshirt freshman. Sure. Um, you know the floor. And I mean, you may yeah. not know the ceiling, but you know where your floor is. Right, right. So to me, it says more about the group overall. Um, Blake, I, I don't know how much you covered Williams as a as a recruit. What's what's kind of the the scouting report on him, so to speak? Yeah, you know, he came out of Georgia, um, Central Gwinnett, I believe, was the school up there in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Um, you know, Florida did recruit him. He was a former, uh, excuse me, Kentucky commit. Um, still, the kind of same theme. Florida's always been trying to steal guys from Kentucky for a while, um, but he was a very capable quarterback. He has, you know, I mean. I don't know that he's quite the dual threat guy now that maybe he was in high school because, you know, you're not not even close to the same level of speed. But, you know, he's a guy that's not a complete statue, but I don't think he's going to be one that's going to be your dual threat type of guy. I think that Martell was more likely the one that was kind of more twitchy yeah. and, and could kind of do more with his legs. But, you know, I think Williams is probably the most less turnover prone compared to maybe Perry and, you know, Martell. So, I, again, I agree with you. I think he's probably the safest pick there. You know, I think he's a very capable quarterback, but... Being a redshirt freshman and having your first start against a very veteran Florida defense, 
Um, I, I don't know that that's ideal for him, especially whenever you kind of consider that Florida's defensive line has been very good in fall camp and the fact that Miami's offensive line hasn't really shown that they're, you know, firing on all cylinders either. Yeah, well, and Miami's O-line is pretty young and inexperienced as well. So I think, um, to me, that's that's where this this Florida-Miami game, that's where you start and end the conversations about matchups. Um, I, I just think, you know, Miami's inexperience on O-line coupled with a, a brand-new quarterback going against a Florida defense that essentially, for all intents and purposes, returns eight starters, um, is very aggressive and deceptive in how they blitz I think Miami's going to have a lot of problems generating points. Now we can talk on the other side of the ball, you know, I'm, and I'm sure we will about, you know, whether or not Florida has any similar concerns against a very good Miami D line. But I just can't see this being a scenario where Florida's D line doesn't seriously, seriously disrupt Jaron Williams and make it a, a tough first outing for him. Yeah, and then, you know, like you said, first outing, I think that's the key thing there. That it's just not an ideal matchup there. I think if anything, whenever you're kind of planning there, and you know, obviously a first year head coach in Manny Diaz, you you kind of want your first game as far as being a coach and as far as having a first. I mean, you want to play like you know these these small schools, and that's not ideal for them considering the fact that Florida's going to come in and they're going to kind of know the verbiage, they're going to know you know substitution. They're just going to more than likely you would think would be kind of as far ahead of them and as far as maybe the verbiage and, and kind of the, the thinking part of being a team and, and maybe not the outplaying, you know, I think there's a lot of questions here. You don't really know what Miami's going to put together, but I mean, you think Florida more likely would be able to outplay them on both a physical and a mental stage here. So I think that that is kind of where I'm waiting to see where Williams does against Florida, because like you said, they're very good at being very deceptive and kind of hiding the blitz and, right. you know, they're going to make him think. And I think that that's going to be hard for any redshirt freshman to do. Yeah. Now, I will say that I wouldn't be surprised if Miami plays multiple quarterbacks. You know, Tate Martell, obviously known as a runner, I think you can build in some wrinkles there. And so I'm not by any means saying that Miami can't surprise Florida, catch Florida off guard or be productive. I just think that that matchup more so than any other matchup in this game favors Florida heavily. Sure. You know, not only that, too, there there are a lot of questions for Florida's offense kind of heading in there. I guess, Thomas, is there anything that jumps out to you that, you know, is kind of your glaring question kind of heading into this matchup? Well, that's the that's the flip side of the equation is I, I think both teams from a defensive line standpoint should be well ahead of the opposing team's offensive line. Um, if jo- if John Lance can't go, I think that's a, a fairly significant issue for Florida, because when you look at these season opening matchups um, and, and I'll go, I'll even go back to the quarterback a little bit. Look at Felipe Franks when he made his first start in 2017 against Michigan. Uh, when you're going against a defense that knows how to disrupt you. You can lose confidence very quickly, not just within a game, but within an entire season. And that's the tricky part. So I think for Florida, I don't think you worry about that with Franks. I don't think you worry about that with Pirine, those receivers. Um, but if that offensive line, you know, ends up coming out deer in the headlights against some, you know, fancy Miami looks or whatever, Florida's coaches are going to have to do a good job managing that to make sure that it doesn't stunt the offense in such a way that Florida say gets behind in the game by, you know, say there's a fluke special team score or something. Uh, I think it's, it's one of those games that the coaches really have to manage, not just the X's and O's, but the mentality of your players, because it's the first game of a season. You don't exactly know what you're getting into. You may have a Richard Gouraj out there, you know, starting his first game in his first college, you know, really first real college appearance. Who knows? Um, so I think that's the big question. How does Florida manage Miami's defensive line? I will say that I have a lot of confidence in Florida's ability to handle that well. And the game I really look to from from Dan Mullen's first year is Mississippi State. You look at what Florida did 
um, before that offensive line really started to gel and turn into the kind of unit that could run the ball at will. Uh, they weren't that good going into the Mississippi State game. And Mississippi State had some absolute monsters on that D-line. Florida didn't score a lot of points. I mean, they only, you know, it was a two-touchdown outing for them. Um, but they were able to mitigate some of the damage that that defensive line was able to do. And I think that kind of creativity is something that you give Dan Mullen and his staff a whole offseason to plan. I think they can work around some of those deficiencies on the O-line. Yeah, that's kind of my question that too is, you know, not obviously the big question for everyone is is Florida's offensive line going to be able to hold up against a, a very solid Miami defensive line? I think that's been the question for a while. But for me, my questions have been more so is what is Mullen going to do? Let's say things don't go well. Let's say the offensive line struggles, you know, it may take them a couple games to gel as a unit, get comfortable and, and really kind of turn the corner like you said it took them a couple games last season. So my question I guess more so is, you know, what does Mullen do to kind of erase those problems if he does? You know, I mean, there are things you can do quick passes I mean there are obviously things that they can do to get around that my question more so is like I guess what are they going to do there because it it could you know I think Florida does handle Miami fairly easily but you know I think that if there was a reason why things could go maybe on the wrong way is because of the offensive line maybe not getting the push against this defensive line running the ball or not getting their blocks off enough to throw the ball so my question I guess is what do you do if something if that maybe that unit isn't ready to go and I think that that's not a question we can answer we obviously have to watch it but you know I guess me thinking throughout the entire year it's just always what's the O-line going to do what's the O-line going to do and I always kind of wonder there that obviously there are ways to get around it if you're not getting the push you want but I guess it's a wait and see thing I know you don't have an answer for it but I'm really interested to see what happens if that is a problem. Well, I think the biggest thing that Florida focused on, even going as far back as the spring, is running a little bit more tempo, trying to get the ball out quick. Uh, You kind of mentioned that, you know, get the ball out to the playmakers and let them make a play. Because once it's in their hands, you have the chance that they can break something free um, rather than a bust impacting the play before it really starts. So I I would say that's the number one thing to watch out for. I don't know how fast it'll be against Miami. Um, The other thing I think is Dan Mullen is is a terrific in-game manager. And given the fact that Florida returns everybody on defense pretty much, you know, returns everybody on special teams, I think they'll see a very patient approach. Like if Florida comes out and the first two or three drives aren't very good, I don't think you're going to see them panic because I don't think you're going to see Florida fall behind, uh, you know, all that significantly. I think you, I think kind of the way Florida's last couple games of the year went, um, I think that's the Florida team you're going to see at least early this year is that Florida understands it can wear teams down. They feel very confident in their strength and conditioning. You look at the Michigan game, that was a very close game at halftime. People forget that because it ended up a blowout. Same thing with Florida State at the end of the year. Those were games where Florida was just patient enough to continue working with its process, grinding teams down. And when you're making good plays on special teams, you can flip the field well with a good punter. Um, your defense can you know, not really give up a ton of yardage. I think you put yourself in positions to win over the course of a game. So I'd say that's the biggest thing that, you know, if the O-line is struggling, I think you see Florida really lean heavily on that. And then there's also Dan Mullen is a little bit familiar with with Manny Diaz. I mean, I would expect that Dan Mullen has a pretty good idea how defensively uh, Manny Diaz likes to attack. And I think that that's probably more an advantage to me uh, for Dan Mullen than Manny Diaz in this game, because I think the offense, uh, you're always dictating a little bit more based on what you call and the defense has to react. So I think I think to me, that's an advantage for Mullen over Diaz as well. Yeah, absolutely, and that's been another talking point throughout most of the fall and obviously leading up to this game was that the fact that there's familiarity there. Uh, Manny Diaz serving on Mullen's uh, coaching staff back at Mississippi State. So, you know, I, I think, like you said, you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, it, offense dictates off personnel and, and maybe some changes and playing up to your players, but for the most part, a defensive scheme is a defensive scheme. Right, right, exactly. They're going to line up, and, and they're basically trying to cover you. 
um, which allows you to kind of put the onus on them. Um, I, the other thing is talking to a lot of Florida's players. I really just, I mean, everybody's positive in fall camp. Everything you hear is for the most part, coach speak or players praising their other guys, but there, there just seems to be a genuine sense of confidence in going into year two in the same scheme on both sides of the ball. And I think that's, that's such an important factor when you're talking about season openers, because there's always going to be some level of unpredictability in a season opener based on what the other team has schemed up in the off season. But if you're on the same page and you know what you're doing, at least you guys are all reacting to it the same way. And I think that's going to give Florida a pretty big, big edge in this game. Absolutely. It's just a level of comfortability. You know, you have, you know, first year head coach, to an extent, first most of, if not some of fall camp, at least the first part of it, you're really saying, this is what we want to do. This is what we're going to install. This is how things go. This is how you line up. You know, every little sort of basic thing is there, not necessarily something that Florida had to deal with this year. I know Mullen has mentioned during, uh, you know, press conferences and whatnot or media availabilities that, you know, that that was something that they had to do last season, you know, spending mm-hmm. the first part of their spring ball or, or, you know, even fall camp was kind of telling guys how to line up and how things go. And now you have this year to where, you have a lot of the same personnel. You know, the scheme is going to maybe change depending on guys you have in there. But for the most part, you're comfortable with what you're doing. And I think that that is also a big advantage Florida has. Yeah, there's a lot less learning that Florida's coaches have to do this year. And I would say that Miami's coaches, while my, while Manny DSS has some familiarity on his side of the ball, uh, they're still adjusting to a new offensive coordinator. And I think um, I think it's going to make for a more comfortable outing for Florida probably than Miami. Not saying the Canes can't win or anything like that. I, you know, obviously the the talent level, uh, it's it's good for a season opener. You like to see these kind of games to open a season, uh, but Florida should feel pretty confident coming out of fall camp. Uh, Blake, I think I think that pretty much wraps it up for today. Um, tentatively, guys, I, I know we haven't actually gone through a football season with you guys on the podcast yet, so I wanted to give you kind of what our our thinking is right now. I think what we're gonna do during the season is try to shoot for two podcasts a week uh, during game weeks where we we wrap up kind of the previous game after we've had a chance to go through the film on Sundays. And then after listening to Dan Mullen and players and uh, the coordinator speak on Monday and Tuesday of each week, we'll either Wednesday or Thursday uh, shoot another podcast really focusing on the preview of the opponent. Um, so you guys can expect that to come out uh, probably mid next week. And we will have a much, much further dive into Miami. But until then, we appreciate it. Uh, Appreciate you guys listening. Please go ahead and uh, drop us a like on whichever channel you listen to us on and encourage your friends to check out the podcast.